Welcome to Ghost Riders Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know, if you were a slogan, what slogan would you be? I would be, by Fantasy Flan, which is from Courage the Cowardly Dog. A couple weeks ago, I came across a book called The Big 1-0 by Dean Pitchford, and it was in one of those neighborhood library cabinets. Everyone puts their books in there and then takes some, leave some kind of thing. The cover caught me, and I thought, hmm, this looks like something I would be interested in. It's not very long either. It is 181 pages, so I don't know if you'd call that a novella. Either way, I loved it. I looked forward to reading it every night. It took me like two nights to finish. I didn't realize Dean Pitchford is famous for his songwriting, Let's Hear It For The Boy and Footloose. And he also did the screenplay for Footloose, so that was kind of neat. But what I liked most about this book is it's centered around a nine-year-old going on ten. He doesn't have any friends. He's growing up in a single mom household with his older sister. And so all of his stressors, they seem mature in a lot of ways, but then we get the young kid being bullied in school scenario. It's a comedy. It's really funny. And these are my favorite type of comedies, these schoolastic, lighthearted, books. The chapters are super short. They're like two to three pages long on average. So what I'm going to be reading spans three chapters and it's about 11 pages long. Our protagonist is Charlie Maplewood. He has a sister Lorena or Lorena. I might use alternate pronunciations throughout. I'll try to stick to one. His mom is dating this dud named Vince. And Charlie really likes this comic book series called Monsters and Maniacs. He also has a dog named Boing Boing, and Charlie's dad lives in Scotland, and he's a chef there. Charlie is living in the US. I don't know if he outright said it, but given the context clues, that's what I'm led to believe. Charlie mentions early on that he does all the cooking in the house, and when people learn that the nine-year-old is cooking for a household, they think, oh, that's weird, but he's like, if they knew that my dad was a chef in Scotland, maybe they wouldn't think that it was weird that I enjoy cooking so much, or that I have have a propensity to cook. The whole book starts off, he's getting a letter from his father addressing his birthday, which is way early and not even his upcoming age. His dad's like, hey, you're turning 11. What are you going to do for your big day? As I kept falling off my skateboard on the way home, I reviewed the week in my head. I couldn't really say that there was anybody in school who I could call a friend, and certainly nobody who could call me a friend, except Jennifer, and I didn't even want to be seen with her. But is that so bad, not having friends? I wondered. After all, I've got school, I've got boing boing, and monsters and maniacs, and making dinner every night. My life is full, I told myself, even if it does get a little lonely sometimes. Whoa, lonely? How did that sneak in there? I hadn't thought of it before, but yeah, it gets lonely. Then, before I could get too upset about that realization, I saw something that made me fall off my skateboard again. It was our neighbor, Gary Quarky, down on his knees on the sidewalk, with his head stuck in the bushes that separated his yard from ours. It was only the second time I have ever seen the guy who lives right next door. Gary Quarky moved into the house on the other side of us from Mrs. Cleveland about five months ago. Mom baked chocolate chip cookies and left them on his porch to welcome him to the neighborhood, but he never came over to say thank you. What an odd man, I remember Mom said at the time. 
We knew Gary had a girlfriend who Lorena called Pincushion because she had earrings and spikes and hoops in her ears and her nose and her lips and her eyelids. I'm serious. I used to see Pincushion drive up and park her big old boat of a convertible in Gary's driveway every afternoon and carry groceries into his house. But I had only seen Gary come out once before. That happened one afternoon when I was home alone, and I suddenly heard a horrifying shriek from next door. After I jumped about five feet off the ground, I ran into Lorena's room because her window looked out over Gary's backyard, and this is what I saw. Gary came dashing out of his house screaming, Aye! and wearing a rubber apron and goggles like maybe a mad scientist would wear. He looked like he was about as old as my mom, but it was hard to tell since his long hair was hanging down in his face and over his glasses. He had on thick gloves, and from hand to hand, he was tossing a test tube that was spitting fire and sparks. He kept yelling, hot, 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 as he ran across the lawn to an old concrete birdbath that was filled up with green, scummy rainwater. He tossed the tube into the water and watched as the flames sputtered and the burning tube sank. Only then did he stop yelling, hot, hot, hot. He took off his gloves and wiped his forehead like, woo, that was a close one. When he looked around to make sure that nobody had seen his weirdness, I ducked behind Lorena's curtain so he didn't see me on his way back into his house. Mom was right, I thought. What an odd man. I couldn't see what was in the bushes that Gary had stuck his head into, but whatever it was, he was talking to it. Let it go. Good boy. Let it go. And as he kept saying that, Gary was rocking back and forth on his knees like he was playing tug of war. Only he wasn't winning. Atta boy, let it go. Who's a good boy? He kept on. Suddenly there was a thrashing in the underbrush and Gary fell forward, crashing through branches onto his belly. Then Boing Boing burst from the hedge and ran straight at me with something in his mouth. I couldn't tell what it was until he dropped it at my feet and then I jumped. Because Boing Boing had brought me a foot. A human foot. Only it wasn't attached to a human. Where it should have been attached, there was only bone and blood and... Oh man, I don't think you want to hear this. I gagged. <coughs> Suddenly Gary was there, picking up the foot like, Oh, yeah, I guess I dropped that. When he straightened up, I could see that he was wearing the same rubber apron he had on the afternoon he drowned the flaming test tube. Only now, the front of the apron, you're not gonna believe this, was covered with blood. I mean, it looked like blood. I didn't know whether to hurl or scream or gag again. And before I made a choice, Gary spoke. Your dog, he, uh, he found. Gary stammered as he held up the foot. And then he, uh, he. And that's when he chomped down on the foot. It smushed like a kitchen sponge. I was about ready to pass out. Gary released the foot from his teeth. Then your dog, he. Gary made little moves with his hands like we were playing charades and he was trying to get me to say, ran away. It was while he was recreating Boing Boing's kidnapping of the foot that Gary finally realized I was staring at it in his hand. Oh, he yelped, this, it's only, and as he spoke, he squeezed the foot into a little ball and closed his hand around it. When he opened his fist, the foot sprang back into shape. See, poof, squishy, and he bit it again, no pain. My head was throbbing with the realization of what a total wacko we had living next door. Then Gary announced, okay turned and went back across the lawn and into his house, brushing grass and leaves and dirt off his rubber foot. Now, maybe I have my little peculiarities, and maybe I don't have any friends, but man oh man, I thought, at least I'm not a nut job like my neighbor Gary. 
I wasn't sure whether I should tell mom the story about Gary and his squishy foot, but by the time she got home that day, I had something else more important to tell her. Something she wasn't going to like. Mom had invited Vince to dinner that night. After all the times they had gone out together, it was the first time that Vince was coming to our house. So mom asked me to cook something special but not spicy. And she even asked Lorena to please be sure to be home. Mom didn't even say be nice or anything like that, just be here. But while I was in the middle of dinner preparations, Lorena called and told me to tell mom that Brad had offered her an extra shift at Chickadee so she'd be eating at work and getting home after nine. I wish you'd told me that before I defrosted this veal, I said as I minced my carrots and celery. Well, freeze it again, she snapped. Lorena doesn't understand how refreezing can damage meat. Maybe you should call mom at work and tell her yourself, I suggested. I have a job to get to, she yelled just before she hung up. When mom came in and I gave her Lorena's message, she froze. Then she nodded twice, which is always a dangerous sign. It means that she's trying to figure out just how mad she's going to get. It was so quiet in the kitchen that I could hear the gas flame under the water I was boiling for my wild rice. Mom looked over all the stuff I had spread out on the countertops and on the stove and she asked very quietly, Need any help? Nope, everything's under control. Mom nodded one more time and she walked out saying, I'll go get ready then. Oh, she was mad. If I hadn't hit mom with Lorena's message as soon as she walked in, perhaps she would have asked me about the hairnet I was wearing. I know, you're probably smacking your forehead and crying out, a hairnet? Why does a nine-year-old boy need to wear a hairnet? I can explain. On Monday morning that week, everybody arrived at school to find that over the weekend, somebody had come in and put up public health posters. We were told it was because about three weeks before, a boy in the third grade had chipped a tooth trying to open a soda bottle with his teeth. So Principal Brandt had decided that safety was the most important issue in our young lives. The posters warned us about dangers that lurked around every corner of our school building. For instance, one advised us that speed leads to spills. The poster showed a figure of a cartoon boy falling downstairs to his doom. Another one showed kids slipping and sliding all over a freshly mopped hallway under the warning, when it's wet, don't get wild. You get the idea. So when I walked into the lunchroom at noon, I wasn't surprised to see a poster over the cafeteria line that announced, kitchen staff must wear hairnets at all times. And sure enough, that day for the first time ever, all the ladies on the cafeteria line, and even Mr. Gordon, who works at the dishwashing machine and has hardly any hair, were wearing their nets. And I thought, that's a reasonable request. Imagine all the germs that lurk on a strand of hair. I mean, nobody wants to find someone else's curls in their ice cream, do they? So, since I knew that mom was hoping this dinner for Vince would give him the best possible impression of our family, I decided that evening would provide the best opportunity for me to start my new cleanliness program. I can understand that the hairnet might take some getting used to, and perhaps when Vince rang the doorbell at 6.30 and mom called downstairs, Would you get that, honey? I should have given a little more thought to my appearance. But I was in the middle of chopping onions, and whenever I chop onions, I cry. I've tried all the tricks that I read about to prevent tears, but those darned onions always get to me. I wiped my hands on a kitchen towel and opened the front door. Hey, Charlie, how's it going? Vincent boomed as he grabbed my hand and pumped it up and down. Now shake hands like I showed you. Squeeze my hand. And he squeezed mine. Like you want to choke the life out of me. Squeeze it like you. Huh? For the first time he looked at me, and when he did, he stopped squeezing and pumping. 
Then he dropped my hand. Are you crying? No. I sniffed and wiped a tear off my cheek. His face crinkled in disbelief. Is that a hairnet? He gasped. Behind me, Mom made her entrance. Well, this is the first dinner at home. Vince didn't say hello or tell Mom how nice she looked. Instead, he pointed a finger at me and wagged it. Why is he wearing a hairnet? Mom stopped in her tracks and examined my head. I could see her eyes widen, but she struggled to keep her cool. I'm sure Charlie has a good reason, she smiled. I was back in the kitchen, standing on a chair and stirring my rice on a back burner when I heard Mom and Vince whispering loudly in the living room. If I stopped stirring, I could pick out the highlights. That kid is always in the kitchen, Vince hissed. He likes to cook, and besides, I work late. Charlie is a great help to me. But that's not normal, said Vince. Mom's voice got louder. Are you saying my son isn't normal? I'm saying that a nine-year-old boy cooking and crying and wearing a hairnet is pretty strange. Oh, so now he's strange. You know what I mean. I could hear Mom's voice strain. No, what do you mean? I'm just thinking about people. People might see your kid and think he's some kind of a... Some kind of a... Some kind of a what? Mom pushed. Some kind of a freak. I could tell from Mom's silence how upset Vince's words had made her. When she did speak, it was to say, Well, I'm sure you can find your way out. And she was right. Later, Mom and I sat quietly at the dining room table and pushed food around on our plates, because neither of us really felt like eating. First of all, what Vince had said made me feel really awful. Secondly, as much as I didn't like Vince, I guess my mom did. I felt kind of responsible for their fighting and for him stomping out and slamming the door, but I didn't know how to apologize for that. Eventually, Mom looked up with one of her brave smiles. So, did you decide what you want to do for your birthday, she asked. I shrugged. I don't need a party, if that's what you mean. No, she wondered. Won't your friends be disappointed? Nah, I mumbled. They have things to do. I'm sure they would change their plans. What if I call their mothers and... Mom, I stopped her. I put my hand on hers, hoping that I could soften the blow of what I was about to say. I don't really have any friends. She gazed at me for a while, and I got the feeling that I wasn't telling her anything she didn't know. Well, maybe a party is a good way to make some. I think she had it backwards. I think you've got to make friends, and then you can invite them to a party. Either way, my party wasn't going to happen. But I could tell that it mattered a lot to Mom, so I decided that I would disappoint her slowly. Can I let you know? I lied. She nodded and took a forkful of dinner. Mmm, she hummed as she chewed. Your sister doesn't know what she's missing. It's beef stew, right? Actually, I said, it's veal en subuco with shallots and a red wine reduction. Oh, Mom nodded carefully. Of course. It's times like that when I bet she's wondering, was there some mix-up at the hospital? Instead of my own baby boy, did they hand me an alien life form? But I smiled at Mom. She smiled back. And then we finished everything on our plates. That night, when Lorena finally got home, Mom unloaded on her for missing dinner. So I decided that would be a good time to take Boing Boing for a long walk. As we roamed the street, I made some important decisions. Number one, the hairnet had to go. Number two, I was not a freak. Number three, I had to tell Mom that I didn't want a birthday party. Once we got past that, we could figure out some other way to celebrate my big day. And then something happened that changed my life forever. I'm not kidding. I was deep in thought, and Boing Boing was sniffing around one of Mrs. Cleveland's big trees when I heard loud voices, and they weren't coming from my house. 
suddenly the door to Crazy Gary's house flew open and his girlfriend Pincushion rushed out, followed by Gary. They couldn't see Boing Boing and me watching from the shadows across the street. Pincushion stomped down the driveway carrying a cardboard box and a big suitcase. Gary chased after her, pleading, Don't go, please. As Pincushion flung her stuff into the back seat of her convertible, she shouted, I can't take this anymore, Gary. I can't. You're too weird. And I thought, isn't that what I've been saying all along? Gary pleaded, so I'll, I'll change. I'll need instructions, but I can change. Pincushion scoffed. You can't change, Gary. Look at you. You're a grown man with no social skills. You tell him, lady. No fashion sense. Amen. And no friends. Whoa, lady, now you've crossed the line. I must have gasped, because Boing Boing stopped his sniffing and looked up at me. After all, Pincushion had come awfully close to describing me, and come on. No matter what could be said about me, I was not like Gary. Was I? Pincushion jumped into her car, started it, and then, as if she'd read my mind and understood my deepest fear, she whipped around to Gary, and before she peeled out of the driveway, she spit out, Face it, Gary, you're a freak! I felt the earth drop away from under me. That word, twice in one night. One word, the same word used to describe me and the weirdest guy on the planet. As Pincushion careened out of the driveway, she crashed through some of the bushes that separate our property from Gary's. She spun the wheel, and as she turned, her headlights raked across Mrs. Cleveland's front lawn. That's when Gary saw me. As Pincushion roared away, Gary and I stood there for one horrible moment, looking sadly across the street at each other. Two friendless freaks. And then I started to run. With Boing Boing nipping at my heels, I ran faster than I had ever run. Across our lawn, up our porch, I blasted through our front door as if the goblins of Glug Glug, Monsters and Maniacs, issue 25, were at my back. Mom! Mom! I ran from room to room, yelling my head off. Mom rushed out of the laundry room, carrying a basket of clothes. What, Charlie? What? Lorena raced down from upstairs, shouting, He'd better be bleeding. I was practically wailing by this time. Mom! Mom dropped her basket of laundry, fell to her knees, and grabbed me by both shoulders. I'm right here, Charlie, she shouted. What is it? I gulped a big ball of air, and I said it. Yup, I actually said it. I gotta have a birthday party. I love that he's running away and he's comparing this scene to his favorite comic book, Monsters and Maniacs, The Goblins of Glug Glug, which sounds like a great cafe. But the funniest part was when Pincushion yells out, Gary, face it, you're a freak. It's so funny because it reminds me of when people unknowingly compare you to someone or something that you just despise. As we come to find out, Gary is a bit of a shut-in and he's actually a special effects guy. And it's kind of neat because near the end of the book, we see how he and Charlie build a relationship. The whole book is about Charlie planning this party, throwing himself in this daily study of how to make friends. And at times I feel like we're dealing with the mind of an adult more than we are the mind of a nine-year-old. There were a few times that I'm thinking, I don't think my nine-year-old brain ever thought this way. And maybe that's just me, but the book itself is geared more toward adults. I'll read this review from Jamie Lee Curtis that is on the back. The big one O is a wonderful literary equation. 
Add some birthday party anxiety with a little movie monster magic, and it equals a funny and triumphant journey of self-discovery. That is exactly what this book is about. No more, no less. So that's a wrap on Friendless Freaks, and we'll catch you guys next week. Face it, Gary, you're a freak. I felt dumb. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay. Whew. I felt the... <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, I told you this book is so funny to me. Okay, I got this.